Hello, this is Brian Johnston. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Injury Prevention, and this is our very first podcast. In our podcast, we're going to be highlighting our editor's choice from each issue. Today, we're looking at a paper from our April 2010 issue, A Practical Approach for Applying Best Practices in Behavioral Interventions to Injury Prevention. I'm joined now by one of the authors of that paper, Dr. Flora Coplin-Winston. She's the co-scientific director of the Center for Injury Research and Prevention at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Pennsylvania and, importantly, an associate editor with our journal, Injury Prevention. Hello, Flora. Good morning, Brian. So, Flora, this paper is something of a departure for injury prevention. Rather than reporting on original science, you've set out to really offer a tutorial in the applications of behavioral science to the development of injury prevention interventions. Can you tell us what motivated you to undertake this project? My co-author and I aim to make behavioral science more accessible to injury prevention professionals, many of whom are new to this topic. And we did so by providing a practical tutorial. You know, I, I see as an editor that there are notable successes in the incorporation of behavioral science into injury prevention, but unfortunately these lag behind those that involve epidemiology and engineering. A recent systematic review found only 12 studies that applied behavioral science theory to road traffic injury prevention. As you know, I'm a pediatrician and an engineer, and I value the importance of technology and laws in reducing injuries. But as a researcher, I recognize that these approaches are limited in their effectiveness because of one very simple fact. Laws and products alone cannot completely engineer or legislate out individual behavior. I hope that this tutorial would follow the successful models of health promotion and disease prevention in which comprehensive prevention strategies incorporate behavioral science and and promote individual behavioral change. Uh, Flora, I don't want to recapitulate the entire paper on the podcast, uh, but I do think it's important for our listeners to have a basic understanding of your approach. Do you think you could briefly review that for us? Yes, one of the key changes that this approach Um, presents for many people who've heard me um, discuss it, is a reorientation um, of working right to left. You have to start with an idea of what your vision is. You should define it as a broad, measurable goal. Um, What do you hope to achieve? And then progressively refine that and focus the vision on likely behaviors that people can adopt specific things that that you need specific people to do, and then go a little bit further in defining target constructs, things that make it easier or harder for people to to achieve these behaviors, to adopt these behaviors. I think one of the more challenging steps in in this approach is, is just that, identifying these target constructs and their influence on the behavioral objective. I think most of us could settle on a behavior we hope to change, but how really do we identify those target constructs? Well, I think you begin with the background literature. Um, It can help you by looking at models that exist to find a relevant behavioral or sociological model that can guide what the target constructs might be. It gives you somewhat of a clue. Um, Formative research with the target audience can then determine the appropriateness of these target constructs, both for your behavior and for achieving the goal. One model that I often apply is the um, the is Ajahn and Fishbein's theory of planned behavior. According to this theory, if people evaluate the behavior as positive, that's their attitude, and if they think that others whom they care about 
want them to perform that behavior, the subjective norm, the results are a higher intention or motivation to do the behavior, and they're more likely to do so. So practically speaking, how you'd apply this and find the target constructs is you might start by saying the behavior is that you want teens to increase their seatbelt use. You would bring together maybe a group, several groups of teens, where you do a series of open-ended interviews, and you would ask them questions like, what are the advantages of using seatbelts to you? What are the disadvantages? What makes it easier to use a seatbelt? What makes it harder? Who would want you to use a seatbelt? Who would not want you to use a seatbelt? And how important are they to you? That kind of information, the answers you get, end up being your target constructs. And there's one really important step that you have to take after that is to determine with these target constructs how closely are they associated with the behavior, looking at theory, is there room for them to change, and is it feasible for them to change. So as example, many times people think they have money for a behavioral intervention, and I'm going to tell people about the importance of seatbelts in saving lives. If it is actually a target construct that people don't have that knowledge, that will be an important intervention. But if they already have that knowledge, there's no room to change. That is not a target construct. But it's very, it's, it's very uh, appealing, isn't it, to take the, the path of, of least resistance. It's, it's much easier to produce a pamphlet than to, to set out to change social norms. It is, and I, you know, sometimes the, if it's the right information, that pamphlet might be important for someone, but oftentimes it is more complicated to change behavior than that. And I absolutely think we have to start with making sure that the environment is conducive to someone performing that good behavior, and that's where laws or physical attributes of the environment might come in. But we have to then go more deeply. We have to make sure that what we are hoping to do with our um, behavior change is actually something that's grounded in theory where there's a chance that it's going to work. We do sometimes, I think, fall into the trap of dichotomizing our approaches to injury prevention into either behavioral approaches or engineering solutions, but I gather that you see both of these strategies as tools drawn from the same toolbox to be selected and deployed according to the process of assessment and understanding that's described in your paper. Yes, Brian, when I'm a tackling an injury prevention problem, I want to look at the widest possibility of approaches, technical, educational, legislative, marketing. There are many, not just engineering or behavioral, and I see these as my toolbox. And then what I need to do is to choose the right tool to solve the right problem. Sometimes a new product or a change to the physical environment is needed. Sometimes a law is needed, while other times I need to think of an educational program or marketing campaign to change individual behavior. I think this is important to keep in mind because we need to think broadly to make the best choice for our approach. Uh, so, Flora, you've been looking at injury prevention and doing it for quite a while now. Uh, where do you think that our prevention programs have been most likely to stray from this approach that you outlined? Where do we most often fall short? I think that people start too quickly with action. They go right in with already having an idea of what the intervention needs to be, what population they're going to target, and they just go forward. And this is often for practical reasons. They don't quite have enough resources. Um, there, there's time constraints. But I think that that is where people fall short. 
you need to start with doing a bit of research to find out what those target constructs are, match the intervention to the target construct, decide if you're going to work at a population level or an individual level who the most um, accessible population is to target um, to, to achieve your goal. The second problem that people often have is they don't evaluate. They uh, put an intervention in place, don't determine whether it changed the target constructs, the, achieved the behavior, reached the goal, and they don't recognize that over time the target's constructs might change. So, for example, if a law is put in place, it might change dramatically what your intervention might be. So those are two areas, I think, is really thinking about what you're hoping to achieve and taking a little bit of time to plan out your program theory and then evaluating it to be sure that what you hope to achieve, you're actually achieving. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Flora, your paper, I think, is going to be an excellent tutorial and a resource for injury prevention practitioners and researchers for a long time to come. I'm Brian Johnston, the editor of Injury Prevention. I've been talking with Dr. Flora Coughlin-Winston about her paper, A Practical Approach for Applying Best Practices in Behavioral Interventions to Injury Prevention. It will be the editor's choice in the April 2010 edition of the journal. You can look for it there. Uh, it's uh, open access. Uh, join us uh, in two months uh, for our next podcast where we'll highlight the editor's choice from the June edition.